BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Before we get to today's episode, we want to introduce you to our newest partner, which like us is Pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all of your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. Also, in-house financing is available for credit-related issues. If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129, that's 305-680-1129, or stop into the dealership, you work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos! Let's go! Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you subscribe or follow, depending on which option that your particular podcast app gives you. Also, we do ask that you rate and review where you can. That helps us get into sort of a better place on iTunes and other platforms, which allows us to expand. And speaking of expansion, we now have 13 podcasts in our network. We just added a 13th Last night, as we're taping this, it's going to be called Swings and Mishes with Craig Mish covering the Marlins and MLB, which means we will be covering all five of the major teams in this market with exclusive podcasts in addition to all of the other things that we cover on our network. And if you're preparing for your fantasy drafts right now, which I know a lot of people are, make sure you check out Fantasy on Five on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, Podcast iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and all of those other apps. You'll get all the information to run or win your league. All right, right now, we are going to bring in somebody who used to be on the radio show with Chris Whittingham and I, uh, Mike Wallace, who appeared on Light Skinned Opinions this week, and I know those guys want you too. Uh, he used to refer to Leroy as part of what he called our brother rotation on the uh, on the afternoon <laughs> drive show. Uh, we, we, we had, uh, it was Chris and I, and then we had Chris Perkins, we had Mike Wallace, and we had the mouth of the South, Leroy Horde. You can find him at Big Mouth. Leroy, of course, played for the Cleveland Browns for many years. He's a Michigan man. We'll get into that a little bit here on the podcast and you can also find him on the Tobin show with Leroy and beast uh, that is on every day, one to three on seven ninety. the ticket Leroy. We appreciate you doing this. I'm assuming you have some opinions for us today. Yeah, quite a few. It's always, it's always me, you know, me and Ethan, and I don't know as much about you, Winningham. We got along too good. We shared a, a, a <laughs> beverage together. Um, <laughs> but, well, I, I did. I never thought it was that big of a deal. We went to an event, and me and Chris were sitting next to each other, and we were ordering food. And you know, we just looked at each other and said, "Hey, you want to you want to split a cider?" And so <laughs> we just. <laughs> everybody's been giving us the stink eye ever since. And I'm yeah. like, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Now, Le- Leroy, Leroy always goes around revoking man cards. And so yes. I, I was prepared to order a beer 
that you know was sort of a, a, a requisite level of manly. But then when you looked at me and go, you know, I really like cider beer. I'm like, great, because because I really <laughs> like cider beer too, and I'm glad you've allowed me the opportunity to have my own. By the way. Uh, I'm not your get out of jail free card, okay? <laughs> and you still can get your man card revoked. <laughs> but I, 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 but I will it, have it. On, all, I will have it revoked on any number of things. At least it's not that for you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's always good because basically uh, I have a player's perspective. So me and Ethan have gone at it on several occasions because he is a writer. Uh, he's always had the other side and I just, we just have different opinions about how he has to get what he needs to get and why journalists do what they do. So it's always been fun. Yeah. And, and that's changed a lot too. I, I've, I've come around to your perspective on a lot of that stuff. I may not admit that that much on this particular episode, but I, I do, <laughs> I do think with where journalism has gone, it, it's gone to kind of a dark place in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and I do think it's made it tougher for the relationships between athletes uh, and and writers in particular, but also other media members and, and just the way that content's consumed. And that's one of the reasons I think the podcast is a great medium because, you know, when we have athletes on, I know that we're going to start having uh, current Dolphins on the podcast starting next week. And, and I just think it's a better forum uh, for a lot of guys because they can express themselves and, and they're not going to be cut off and it's not going to be misinterpreted. It, it is what it is. And, and so I, I do think uh, where we're going here in the digital space, I think is going to create a better platform for, for athletes in South Florida and for teams in South Florida. But what we want to do with you today, we want to go through five topics with you. I know Tobin on his show, you know, he usually has a few things kind of laid out. Uh, we're going to do something similar. And I've picked five that I think are sort of up your alley um, based on mm -hmm. what I know interests you. And so we're going to start first with the situation at Ohio State. Um, and I ask you to put your bias aside here a little bit. Um, yes, and like everybody needs to understand, my hate for Ohio State has not wavered. <laughs> and it will not waver, okay, based on my opinions of this situation. So don't think that I still don't hate Ohio State. <laughs> Which is such a weird deal because, again, uh, you know, your pro career, um, obviously your college career, you're associated with that a lot and what you did in the Rose Bowl. But uh, but your pro career was was, you know, largely I mean, I know there was a Minnesota stop in there. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that kick, of course, or else you might be wearing a ring right now. But yep. uh, sorry, sorry, sorry to bring that one up. But but your your pro career was was basically 45 minutes from Columbus. Um, and, and so, I, you know, you're kind of in the middle of this situation. So. How do you think, let's start here. Um, what was Urban Meyer's responsibility, in your opinion, uh, when he got the information about the coach on his staff? Okay, now, this whole situation is so much deeper than people understand. And, and one, you have to understand why it was Zach Smith, right? Why he even has the job. You know, he played under Urban, uh, his mentor, uh, Urban's mentor was uh, Zach Smith's uh, grandfather and Earl Bruce. Okay, so now we all know how we sometimes get jobs, how we have connections that get us in. What you do with that connection, that then becomes on, that then on you. Okay, so let's set that up. Now there was a situation that occurred in 2015, and that was a domestic. I guess you would call it a incident mm -hmm. and the only reason why i call it an incident and nothing more than that is because that's all the police have told me now according to zach smith he went to urban and said hey there's a situation nothing happened to which he said urban said hey you get caught up in this this is not allowed if it happens you're done okay urban meyer says he then went and told the university now if i'm an employer Okay, the resources that I have to find out if one of my employees is in a situation or what has happened is either what they've told me or the police report or the incident report or somebody doing some work. Now, keep in mind, this happened in 2015. So I'm wondering now why all these journalists and writers and reporters on this three years later. Well, I, well, I, I think I think the, the 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 reason for that is because uh, the woman Courtney Smith uh, is in the was in the middle of filing a restraining order against him, and so that 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 ended up in the public record, and that's how people found it. Right, but but there was already a restraining order. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason why he got fired is because he violated that restraining order. Mm-hmm. And then when that became public, everybody started looking at the situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, the, the thing that brought all this to the head is the fact that he violated his, uh, his, his, uh, his, uh, what do you call it? His um, restraining order. Restraining order. Right. So all that being said, Urban then fired him, which had to be tough because if you can imagine, you know, I'm looking at, hey, somebody did me a favor and got me into whatever it is, right? I'm now taking his relative and taking him under my wing, and I'm, a, I'm being put in a position where I now have to fire him. So Urban had to feel, you know, uncomfortable with it, but he did what he had to do. He says he told Ohio State. I don't understand, and I can't figure out if there was no uh, police report, okay, if there's no other information, what was Ohio State or Urban Meyer supposed to do? Um, Now, if Urban Meyer lied about about any of this, that's a whole different story. But based on the information that we have right now, Ohio State is not supposed to go do investigating. That's why we have the police department, okay? And so many of us are, are... or complaining about the fact that all these organizations are coming in and going above the police department and passing judgment on incident. Well, I, I do think that there is a different standard between what will get you in, in you know, it's sort of charged with a crime versus what can get you fired from your job. Like you can uh, agree, agreed. But in this situation, okay. In this situation, the only thing that Ohio state or urban Meyer has is what, Zach Smith has told them, and there's no police report. But there is also prior history from the 09 incident. Okay, but that wasn't there. No, but but Urban Meyer knows that. I mean, Urban Meyer was you know was his boss ostensibly at that time, and so he knows that this is a pattern of behavior. And you mentioned the lie. Yeah, go on. Right. Uh, agree. Look, I, I get I get all you're saying, but what we're trying to to determine, which I can't honestly determine, what is Ohio State supposed to do? He's never been charged. And of course, he's been in a couple of incidents. He got fired when he started, when he violated his restraining order, because now they're looking at it as, okay, look, Urban, I don't know whether they told him or he came to this on his own conclusion. Look, we got to do something. We can't have this around our program. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the, when you ask, like, what do people want? The answer is, people who commit domestic violence to be fired from their jobs and like, and whether, agree, and, and, and whether that's fair, but, but that's just the no. way that people approach this issue. Now. Okay. Agree. I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing. And here's where it gets. Okay. Is there proof that he's committed any act of domestic violence? Well, we, I mean, we do have, we do have a restraining order and we do have the pictures that Courtney Smith, you know, sent oh, to, you know, okay. sent to Urban Meyer. What if wife, Ohio right? State or Urban Meyer never saw those pictures? I mean, well, well, this is the part that becomes more and more difficult to believe, which is how does Shelly Meyer know, but Urban Meyer not know? Like, Shelly just sort of would have said to him, hey, you know, Courtney, Courtney sent me these pictures today and it looks really screwed up. Like, uh, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I can't envision a scenario in which that doesn't get from Shelly Meyer to Urban Meyer. Well, just sort of in the course of natural said, conversation. He basically said he lied. So yeah. that's, you, you, you see, again, he said he lied. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, I, and I'm not, okay, he lied to the media. Yeah. Which, okay. The question is, like, did he lie I to care, his bosses? I care how much. Well, well, right? see, well, well see, see, to me, yeah, Leroy, I, I think we are talking about two different standards because I, I think part of the media outrage here uh, is that, um, you know, it, it, because, look, in the media, you know, you don't like when people lie to you, particularly when they're, you know, holding a position of authority. And, and, Urban and, and Meyer, particularly when it looks like a cover up. Well, well, right, right, uh, right. right. And, and particularly in the times we're in right now, where obviously that's in the news every day on, on who's, mm-hmm. who's telling the truth and who's not. And, and so. And people take sides on that. I mean, Urban Meyer is right. I mean, again, you know, Ohio pretty well. Um, Urban Meyer right now with LeBron no longer plying his trade there. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, it, he, Urban he, Meyer he is the, the biggest person in the state. Correct. I mean, sure. bigger, bigger than the governor. Right. Bigger than John Kasich. Bigger than. Sure. Right. Sure. So, sure. so. So I, I guess I guess my my question on this from a larger perspective, too. And, and look, I, I think it's good that, you know, people know your pr- opinion on Ohio State in general. So, I you know, the fact that you can be you know unbiased about this and look at it, I, I think is appropriate. But um, 
how much do you think what happened at Penn State? Because I know you're familiar with that situation too. And again, we're talking about right. another program in that conference. How much of the way that they handled it or didn't handle it, I guess, um, which I know there are still debates about. Well, and, and, and the same with Michigan State. We see the same with Michigan State, the same with Baylor. Like, Well, right. Michi- right. Michigan State is the other one, which, uh, to be honest, I don't think the Michigan State one has gotten enough attention, actually. I, I mean, right. I mean, I mean what, what happened at Michigan State, what happened at Penn State was horrible. Um, what happened at Michigan State, like, is that on steroids? Like, I, I mean, that right. one, I mean, and that involves people who are in Congress now calling out right. other politicians. Uh, so, I, I mean, how, how much of what happened in those places affects this one and, and how has it changed in your view the way that that we look at scandals like this like what is the responsibility of the head coach who is not just the head coach he's he's the face of right. the state basically well he 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 can't allow it he can't have you know that going on in his program and and if he has knowledge of it he has to do something i do I do agree with that but i'll say this that if my boss come and, comes and asks me, okay, hey, you're in a situation, what happened? Okay, I'm going to tell him, you know, what he needs to know. I'm not, you know, like, okay, hey, I wasn't charged. Uh, this is what happened, blah, 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 blah. Now, where they take it after that is is kind of a, 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 on them. But it's tough for me to try to determine, okay, because most people are saying, well, Ohio State should have investigated. Ohio State should have found out. And and I'm like, do we want that? Do we like they're limited? Aren't they limited by what they can investigate? the The wife didn't. The wife didn't tell anybody. The mm-hmm. wife didn't go to the. Now, if if Urban Meyer knew or saw the pictures, okay, and heard her side of the story as far as what transpired, and then he knows. Wait a minute. Whether you weren't charged or not, we can't have this. That's a whole different conversation, okay? Because here, if we're friends, we go out, you get in a situation, and we work together, right? And say if you're my, I'm your boss, you tell me or I get an idea of what actually happened versus whether you were charged or not, I then kind of have an obligation to do something about it. Ohio State has an obligation to do something if they are fully aware of what happened and not what he was and wasn't charged with. But it is not the responsibility or is Ohio State limited by how they can get that information. They don't have the power of the government behind them, but to me, mm-hmm. but, 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 but to me the thing that is, is hardest to reconcile, and it's sort of the point that Ethan was making, is that it's, it, it does kind of fall on deaf ears when Urban Meyer says, well, I pass it along to the authorities, and the authorities handled it the way that they did when... I think the, the basically the point that Ethan illustrated is that Urban Meyer is the authority. He is the authority right. on the on his program. He is the authority, frankly, on that university. So uh, even even though there is a technical chain of command, he is the chain of command. So I it just it, for him to abdicate responsibility like that just is very odd considering the amount of power that he has. Here, here, here's the problem: that if something's found out. Somebody's going to get fired mm-hmm. and it ain't going to be Urban Meyer. I, I have a feeling that being said, I do have friends who are, you know, involved with Ohio state. And I just asked the question, have you ever seen anybody continue to do their job that is on paid administrative leave? Yeah. Do you, do you ever see them come back? That's that. That's usually the first Did, step. That's the first step to right, being fired. Right. Right. So, so like, Take it a whole nother step. Forget everything that has happened. Anytime you've heard a coach is on paid administrative leave while we investigate, they don't ever go back to that office and say, come on, let's come on back to work. Now, is he a difference maker? Because keep in mind, the coach before him won a national championship too. Mm-hmm. He got fired over tattoos. And, 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 they, and they, can fire, they can find another good coach relatively easily. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a that yeah that, well that's a premium job. Uh, Lira, Lira, one more thing before we move to the next part of this, um, the point I raised earlier. Why do you think? Because as I'm thinking about it, like why do you think the Michigan State situation has not become uh, sort of the crossover media firestorm? I mean, I know there's been coverage of Larry Nassar and and everything else, but right. I mean, again, Penn State was was on our TVs like not, and we're not talking like I mean CNN was breaking into cover, you know 
coverage to, you know, well, to, to it, rallies it, on the Penn State campus. Like well, I, if I, one if more, I, if one I, more, two words. Yeah. Joe Paterno. Yeah, for me okay. it would be so. for me it would be college football because in order for it to become a, a story that you know crosses over to CNN, it first has to be a sports story. And mm-hmm. like you know, it, him him doing this in the wor- in the field of gymnastics, like we're not prepared to cover gymnastics. Well, like we're prepared uh, to cover again, college football. Or, or is nobody, or is, or is this a gen- nobody involved in it is big enough that well, to grasp everybody's well, attention? Well, even well. though even though look, the story is massive. Right. I'm not saying that, but if I say Joe Paterno at Penn State, right, right, I get that, I get that. But 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 I wonder, Leroy. I wonder, Leroy. A on on two things on that. One is. I mean, there is a current congressman uh, who's involved. I mean, a, a congressman, Jim Jordan, who's been very, very visible on other issues. So, I mean, there is, I mean, you know, th- there is that. And there, and I, I just wonder if it's a gender issue, too. I mean, I, I, I feel like that story was perceived as shocking in a way because it was boys. Um, and and I, I just wonder if this, you know, the Michigan State story is about you know, girls. And I, I feel like that's a story we've heard before unfortunately. Right. And so I wonder if maybe that plays into it, but I, I just don't think there's been anything close to the coverage. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, the, the numbers of, and as Leroy is saying, like, this is actually taking place in court as opposed to what, you know, this incident, right. which is that like, we like, we're, we're trying to find a police report and it's redacted from th- four years ago. Right. Like, it, like it, it, all of Larry Nassar's accusers are doing so in a court of law and are like screaming right. at him, like, and a father like nearly charged him on the stand. Like, right. Like, I mean, like including that, like, Olympians. Like, like, we talk about it's not big names. I mean, Olympians were yeah, involved. Like, in like Ali Raceman and yeah. Right. I, I, I just, I, I t- to me, I, I think it hasn't gotten enough attention. Do you want to come and watch Brock Osweiler throw interceptions for the Dolphins? We've got an opportunity for you. We're having our first ever Five Reason Sports Network watch party it's for the dolphins second preseason game the dolphins will be up in carolina we will be at the texas roadhouse in miramar that's right off of i-75 on miramar parkway convenient to all of south florida our hosts will start getting there around 6 30 7 o'clock the game is 7 30 so come hang out with us there's no charge at the door nothing like that we're going to have the back bar we'll have drink specials we'll have food specials we'll have giveaways Come to the Texas Roadhouse. Again, it's Friday, August 17th, Dolphins' second preseason game. See you there. Let's move on to some local sports here with you first. Uh, and I want to touch on the Dolphins. As we're recording this, uh, they're playing their first preseason game tonight. Um, by the time you guys hear it, they may have played it already. But uh, you have a different opinion on the Dolphins. And, and I have found uh, the Dolphins' talk this offseason to be really interesting because – there is a segment of the fan base and of the media that just thinks they're not going to be very good that, that, you know, they gave right. up, you know, that there are names, Sue or Landry uh, and others that are not here anymore. I mean, we had Jason leisure on from the Palm beach post. He thinks they're four and 12. Uh, and then mm-hmm. we have, and then we have people on our network, like our three guys on three yards per carry who think they're going to contend for a playoff spot. I mean, they don't necessarily know if they're going to win the division, but they like, I mean, even Chris Kaufman, who, you know, is sort of our resident expert here, who has not liked much of what Tannenbaum has done the past few years, thinks they had an excellent offseason. Like, he's very big on what they did, allowing Gase to get more multiple, bringing in more options. Um, and and I, I feel they're going to go over, honestly, from the Vegas number. Like, I, I, I look at them and I say, okay, they were a 10-win team, Probably a little bit of luck involved. They beat a lot of bad teams by close margins. There's, they, al- there's always that, though. There is, but then they lost their quarterback, and they won six, and they had a guy who's not an NFL quarterback anymore starting the majority of their games. Like, I don't know how people think they're a six-win team this time around when they won six with Jay Cutler and Matt Moore. So where do, where do you come down on that? That's the most important stat that there is, okay, is that if I take any team in the league that went to the playoffs then loses their quarterback – goes six and 10, then gets their quarterback back. Is it fair to assume they're going to be better than six and 10? Because they got their starting quarterback back, if that position is so important. So let's start there. Now, it's amazing to me, and here's what kills me on radio every day, that we are complaining about losing three people that we complained about when they were here. (laughs) So and Dominican Sue, he is not making any sacks. The defense is the worst in the league. You know, let's be fair to, to Indomitian Sue. He did what was asked of him, caused chaos in the middle 
of the field. What hurt that defense is their linebacker play. They had nobody backing up that defensive line. And then the offense put a lot of pressure on that defense, and they wore out as the year went on. Okay, let's talk about Jarvis Landry. You had Jarvis Landry. He's catching 100 balls. But again, he's a slot receiver. If you have a coach who likes to throw the ball down the field, you can't pay a slot guy $16 million a year. You can't do it. He cannot be your primary guy if you like going down the field as an offense. And then Pouncey. Part of the reason why the offensive line struggled so much is because they never worked together. Every week they had to introduce themselves to the center because he had hip problems. So one of the things that makes an offensive line good, you can pull up all the stats. All the best offensive linemen, all line groups in the league the one thing they have is games played together, continuity. And the more guys you have, more guys you have playing consistently, your offensive line is gen- generally going to get better. So with all those things being said, you get your starting quarterback back. They did something to try to improve the linebacker play. In fact, you just got healthy. Yep. You got your secondary. It, it, I, oh, I hope Xavier Howard can take this preseason cornerback uh, into the regular season because he did the same thing last year and started off a little slow and then came on strong in the end. Hopefully he builds on that. Okay, But between the front seven, you sign some guys that hopefully you can depend on on the offensive line. Don't worry about what they look like right now. They need time together and as long as nobody gets hurt and you have the same five guys, if you need to make changes, you'll be able to tell instead of playing with 17 different offensive lines. You got Frank Gore. And here's what Frank Gore does. The most important stat in football, second and seven. Yep. And everybody makes fun of that. You, you That's know a three-yard whenever, whenever we were working together, that was always your thing is, is are, are you getting you know, positive yards on first down with your running game? Right, right. If you look at all offenses that struggle, just look at their average second down uh, yards to go. Mm-hmm. You can't put yourself behind the eight ball like that. So now you have a consistent guy, a guy you know is always going to be going downhill. He doesn't have to do it 20 or 30 times a game. But at the end of games, when you need, hey, we need to move the chains. Frank, go get us us five, six yards, four or five yards. Open up our offense. That's a big improvement. You got Kenyon Drake. Um, I don't know what he's going to be because you always find a running back gets a lot of yards when you're losing because you probably shouldn't be running the ball. And you had Jay Cutler as quarterback, so you were trying to catch up by running the ball. And they'll give you that. So let's see when he gets, you know, beginning of the season, how that all works out. But other than that, you can't tell me that this team isn't better than it was last year. And I'm not necessarily saying, I'm not saying that the players that are going to be replacing the other guys are better. But I'm saying, based on where they were last year with those three players and where they're all, where the Dolphins are overall, they are a better team. Now, Tannehill gets hurt, all bets are off. And I keep telling people he's not, he's not injury prone. It's the same injury that they didn't get fixed the first time. They took a chance. It didn't work. Don't make him injury prone. Just say, you know, we took a chance. We tried to rehab it and with, do it without surgery. It didn't work. We had to have surgery. It's kind of like Shohei Otani, right? He's going to be pitching here soon. If it doesn't work out, Right? He's either going to never pitch again or have Tommy John surgery. Because mm-hmm. they all do. When they get sore elbows, they all end up having it. Yep. That's, so, like, for people to just all of a sudden, and you know what? Every person that told me the Dolphins are going to be 4-12, and 12, I say, why? Why are they going to be 4-12? and 12? You know, this will be the first time in history that a team gets their starting quarterback back and everybody says they're going to be two games worse than Jay Cutler. <laughs> <laughs> When you put it like that, for for me, the one thing, though, when I, when I look at it is that, yeah, they, they lost those three guys, and you can make an argument that, you know, if you divvied up 160 targets amongst the current receiving core, you could probably get about the same production and the offensive line with Pouncey. But I think the reason why is because they look at those three guys as representing the most talented players on the Dolphins. And if you look at the, and if you look at the roster right now, there just aren't enough players or frankly any players except for maybe Rashad Jones and Cam Wake that are at the top of their position. So a, when people look at them, they see a talent deficiency. But what you're saying is they make up for it in other ways. Oh, oh yeah, but oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, and I hate doing This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Because I do this a lot and people laugh at me, but I would go through the New England Patriots, uh, go through their roster, and I'm like, man, if these guys were playing for different teams, how many people would want them? Maybe three or four of them? Yep. Right. So, so like, stop, stop with the, I got to have the shiny new thing. I got to have the name that I know. That doesn't mean that guys aren't good football players. It just means that you never heard of it. So well, like, well, well, yeah, Leroy, we, we've seen that with the Patriots. I mean, the reality is, I mean, uh, I mean, since 2001, when this run started, which is winning the division every year, but one, right. Which was 2008 when Brady got hurt. Um, right. They, they've continually let guys go um, that way. You know, I mean, that was the end of the world when, I mean, Collins a couple of years ago, um, I mean, you know, right down the line. I mean, I, I mean, uh, now escaping me, but the defensive end that went to, to Richard, Richard Seymour too. Richard Seymour, Chandler Jones, right. I mean, going way back Ty law. I mean, it just right. over and over and over. They've let guys go. I mean, to be honest, Pittsburgh's kind of done the same thing. The, the dolphins have been on the wrong end of that. The dolphins have repeatedly. And right. I, I kind of fear that with Danny Amendola, to be honest, like, uh, you know, the, the dolphins keep picking up, uh, former Patriots or former Steelers. Um, and outside of one year of Joey Porter that worked out, like it tip, I mean, mm-hmm. the Mike Wallace didn't work out. Um, the linebacker Lawrence, last Lawrence year, Timmons, Lawrence no doubt, Timmons did last year out. didn't work out. Like, I, you know, I feel like there are certain organizations that kind of know it's like better a year early than a year late. I mean, even look at what they did at receiver last year. I mean, they went out and got a premium receiver from New Orleans and then just let him go the next year. Let him go. No but, I mean, trade, no, no trade. nothing. Just they, let him go. They 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 rented him for a year essentially, and and the Dolphins never do that. Like the Dolphins are always ta- now the Gore contract. I you know I'm with you on that. I I love the Frank Gore deal. I I think it, what he brings for this first thing, the Dolphins don't have a face um, at all, uh, and that's what happens when you only have one guy in the top 100 in NFL Network. Like they don't have a face to that team right now. Ryan Tannehill is not it because he's never really he doesn't have the personality for it to be honest. Right. Um, but but uh, Frank Gore but, doesn't. Holy. No, but no, oh. no, no, but no, but Frank. Frank Everybody knows him. He's Frank a he's Miami guy. I, I get you. So he's associated with this area. He's a pro. He's one of those guys that everybody in the locker room loves. And like, he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. A- absolutely. Right? So, Absolutely. so, so to me, like if they can get anything out of him, he's going to be a guy that people, not just the media goes to, but guys in that locker room, more importantly, you're going to go to like, I, I like that move. Now the Amendola move for the money. I don't know, man. Like, I mean, he's, I, you know, I know he has stayed healthier the past couple of years, but when you've had concussion problems, you never know when that's going to become an issue again. I know as, right. as you had dealt with some of that, like I, so I, I'm not, sold on that one um but they didn't spend that much so uh, you know and they spent half of what they spent for landry which actually is a good way to transition because we want to get to to part three here 
which is mm-hmm. Jarvis Landry. You follow the Browns closely too, and they're on hard knocks. And Jarvis, <clears throat> not, not surprisingly, Jarvis was the star of episode one um, because that's what his personality is. And a couple things on this. Uh, first, I want to get into what you think he's going to be with Cleveland because I think that's an interesting topic. But the other is I can't think of that many athletes. And I know you said there were people who were upset at Jarvis when he was here. But 90% of the fan base really liked Jarvis. Like, Jarvis was perceived as the one guy who was trying hard all the time on a team but, where well, you he, didn't know if that was the case, right? I yes, mean, yes, yes, but, yes. But, I, I will say that. And, and, and here's, here's what sometimes hurts that situation. Because, like, I'm not a big fan of, you know, either an organization or a player going after each other when you're gone, right? And and so the organization going kind of throwing shots at him, talking about how he was doing his job, you know, I just thought that was nitpicky and kind of what Jarvis did when he left was also a little bit nitpicky. So I'm I'm not on either side with that. But, you know, the thing about Jarvis is, is this. He has the personality to fire up guys and to show guys how to work, how to be a pro, okay? My only problem when he was here was if you were going to be that guy, you can never cost your team. And the 15-yard penalties, okay, it's one thing to be a tough guy. It's one thing to be an inspiration. It's another thing to cost your team because then all the other stuff you're doing loses credibility. And so I'm down with all that stuff he does, but the nonsense on the field, I could do without, okay? You, you just can't have it. If that's going to be your leader, you can't lead your team in that way. Now, I've seen this movie before, and I'm going to tell you why you have to be careful. And it's not going to be Jarvis's fault. It's not going to be the Browns' fault. Uh, I want to say 1995, we signed a receiver from the Atlanta Falcons in Cleveland by the name of Andre Risen. Mm-hmm. Andre Risen had 100 catches plus. He was the guy. Uh, Atlanta didn't want to pay him, so Cleveland paid him. And he came here. He came to Cleveland. And he had about 60 or 70 catches. Well, we didn't go to the playoffs that year, so everybody attacked him. It's like, hey, we paying a lot of money. Where's your production? And I'm like, wait a minute. That 60 or 70 catches is like 100 in Atlanta who runs the running shoe. Fans don't understand that. Mm-hmm. fans don't get that and so what end up happening is is then Andre starts snapping back so when the media and the fans were oh you only gave us four catches and we wanted we paid 400 catches and you're not fulfilling fulfilling your contract while everybody in the building is like no you're doing fine this is our offense it's not Atlanta's offense I worry that one is Jarvis going to get frustrated if he doesn't have 100 catches, is he going to understand that situation? Because he's put himself out there where now all the fans are going to do is look at your numbers, especially with a team that's only won one game in two years. And I hope that the Browns will also understand that, hey, we got a new quarterback. Is he going to be Baker Mayfield or probably be Tyrod Taylor? We have to let them know, hey, this is not the Miami Dolphins offense. This is our dog. Offense. What is Jarvis Landry going to do if jo- when Josh Gordon gets back? They got a tight end who also runs down the middle of the field and is all over the place. They have other options. He is not the only option. Well, they got a back. So the balls- Leroy, they got a back too, and Duke Johnson, who is one of the more right guys in the right in the back. So, like that, that there's, that's an interesting group of players that they have there. Right. On the offense. Right. To where one guy doesn't need to catch a hundred balls to win a football game. That being said, if you get to the end of the season, Jarvis Landry has. 70 catches, six touchdowns, you think the fans are going to feel cheated. Yeah, particularly for the, because, amount, for, for the amount that they paid. Right, because I'm telling you what, we just saw it when Ndamukong Sue. Mm-hmm. The guy bust his butt. The guy caused chaos on the football field. But because he didn't have numbers, most people thought, most of the average fans thought, the Dolphins overpaid for him because right. he didn't have numbers. Right, and Leroy, so, it's, it, Leroy, it's worse for Landry, actually, because A, he plays a position uh, where, number, right. where, where numbers matter more, and B, unlike Sue, he wants the spotlight. Like, he cra- it's right. He craved right, the spotlight. Sue wanted nothing to do with the spotlight. He didn't want anything to do right. with the quarters. He, wanted, he just wanted to hang out with Warren Buffett, which was, again, that's for him, he's going to end up being a billionaire probably. But, like, he, but Landry wants it. Landry wants to be the face of the Browns. Landry's gone after Tannehill. Landry's gone after the Dolphins. Um, and so, you know, I, I do, I do agree with you. I think, 
I mean, he's never going to be a guy who's going to average 15 a catch ever. I don't care how they use him. Like it's just right. not his game. Um, and so best case scenario for, for me there in Cleveland is like you said, 70 catches, five or six touchdowns, and maybe they use him a little differently. So he gets up to, I mean, something redeemable, like 12 yards a catch, but he, he's never going to be a 15 yard, which means he's probably not a thousand yard receiver there. If, if he's not getting the ball a uh, hundred times. So, I'm I'm with you. He wasn't a thousand thousand yard receiver with 110 catches in Miami. So right, so probably not going to happen. uh, Right, I I don't see it happening there either. I mean, Andre Risen was 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 a look. I mean, whatever people thought of Andre Risen and some of the off the field stuff, like Andre Risen was a top five. I mean, you know this, Lee. Was a top five receiver talent in the NFL during his time. I mean, it was. I mean, on Atlanta, it was Andre Risen and Deion Sanders that everybody talked about. So. Right. I don't know that Landry is at, I mean, Andre Risen is the equivalent of like Julio Jones right now, or AJ green. Like that, that's, that's a, or, you know, that's a different right. conversation but, than, than Jarvis Landry. Right. But so, you know, and, and, and I got to tell you, you know, I don't think people realize cause he, you know, he's got his own issues. Josh Gordon is the real deal. He, he can flat out fly and you don't realize how he, I think he's like six, four. So he's not a small dude. Then you got Njoku. Okay. So, if they use a tight end to stretch the middle of the field, then all Jarvis Lane is going to be running is the underneath stuff. Which is what he was complaining about. Right, 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 right. So, you know, for yeah, the I mean, most just, part, I, yeah, I, Josh, I'm not. Josh Gordon go is better. Is Josh Gordon's better than anybody Landry played with here by, I mean, by a wide margin. Like, I mean, if, if Kenny's still, I mean, Devante's, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but I mean, right. I, I, I like Kenny Stills a lot, but Kenny Stills talent level is not Josh Gordon's talent level. So, um, Right. Kenny Stills is the plus one. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that if your if your star on the other side is big enough, he is going to catch a bunch of touchdowns just because you know he can beat one on one coverage. Who is um who's the guy that played opposite uh Michael Irving and then went to Tampa? Oh, Alvin Harper. That's yeah. who Kenny Stills is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> soon as soon as Alvin Harper wanted to be the guy and went to Tampa, yep. what happened? Yep. We've seen that repeatedly yeah. with guys. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. right. I mean, guys that played opposite T.O., guys that play, you know where it really happened? And you're familiar with this, although you had uh, Chris Carter was pretty damn great in his own right. But uh, other other guys who played with Randy um, yes. benefited from that, too, and then would go somewhere else and, and didn't turn out to be anything. I mean, they're just look at that position. There are at any time in the league, there are five or six guys who are just better like Antonio Brown is just better like I mean he's he's made himself into that Larry Fitzgerald for years was just better like that's uh you know and and then you have other guys who benefit from playing with him I mean Atlanta could literally rotate any receiver next to Julio Jones I mean Sanu was you know kind of a borderline third guy in Cincinnati uh and had a breakout year in Atlanta because he's playing next to Julio Jones so yeah I'm I'm totally with you on that. I want to transition with you here uh, to NBA. We know you got your own show to prepare for. Um, mm-hmm. Hassan Whiteside. And, I, you know, you and I had many, many conversations about this because I was on the show with you uh, when they were deciding whether to sign him. And and I know, and what's interesting is I, I think at times you've been much more critical of Hassan than me. And for some reason, I've gotten this rep as being a Hassan hater when I actually was in favor of them, you know, giving him the max. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know where my rep on that has come from, frankly, because I, I mean, I'm just sort of feeding information that I get from inside the organization about, for, you know, their frustrations with him. But, but I do see, you know, as I've said many times on this pod, his per minute numbers last year were the same to better that they were the year before. Like it's, it's not like he's fallen off a cliff uh, I think he's lost some athleticism. Maybe it had to do with the injury. And then obviously the playoffs were a disaster. I mean, anybody would say that, but where do you come down on it? Because clearly the heat have to do damage control now because they, right. they, they didn't trade him. They couldn't trade him. Um, and, and so now they have to kind of make nice. And that's what Riley has been doing publicly. And, you know, he and Spo, you know, supposedly had this great meeting and, all of that kind of stuff. Like once, I guess here's my perspective on it. First, do you think Hassan can turn it around? Uh, and two, once a player, because you've experienced this, I'm sure with other guys, once a player's trust with the organization is broken to a certain degree, is that fixable? The hardest thing to fix, don't even worry about Spo and Hassan. Um, 
But how does that look to the other players? Um, I'm a big I'm a big believer that if you do the, do right by the other guys on your team, your coach will have no choice but to play you. Um, but here's what Hassan did that is hard for me to get over. Everybody knew he was hurt. Okay, the Heat, the organization that they are, refused to put him out there like that. Saying, now I don't mean put him on the feet on the court, but I mean throw that excuse out there for him to, you know, they always took the high road in everything involving Hassan Whiteside. Some people will say it's the money. I just think that's how they do business. They haven't, they haven't, they've taken a high road on a lot of situations. So I have their track record. I know how they handle their business. Hassan was hurt. He was banged up. He wasn't moving well in some situation. You can't then turn around and come, Complain about your playing time. You can't pout on the court, okay? You got four guys out there that live by a mantra, all-out defense. We do whatever we can defensively. The offense will take care of itself. That's what I've been hearing for the last few years. And he's out there moping, not moving, uh, not giving effort. Maybe he can't. But you can't turn around and put that on the coaches and the organization. At some point in time, Hassan has to accept his responsibility in this and be better. And, 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 you know, if you want to be that guy, then be that guy, make a difference. You know, we, like, I personally don't know how much of a difference he can make when at any point in time, a team could put a lineup out there that takes him out of the game. And everybody in basketball knows that because he's limited in the things that he can do. Now, guess what? If they could dump it down into him and he could pass it out to an open guy and he was scoring inside consistently, then he becomes a difference maker. But he's a black hole in there. You throw the ball into him, he's going to dribble. He's like, ah! <laughs> like, you, you get so frustrated. But my thing for Hassan is, go about your business professionally. Fight through some stuff. And if you're not playing, do something about it. I actually Find think- out why you're not playing. Instead of just moping on the court, uh, after practice, making these little comments, like, you are the all-star, and they should be accommodating you. I actually think that he would have been salvageable going into this season if not for the fact that he had such a terrible postseason. If they actually if they didn't make the playoffs and the regular season went the way they did, then you could just say he had a, he, he had a poor season, but he was hurt, and we feel like with an offseason of recovery, he's going to be fine. But because the playoffs were such a disaster – I think that there's less of an inclination from everyone involved to want to make it work. And so you I, sure it's, you, you sure it's not he talks to koi fish? <laughs> who, who does it, Leroy? Everybody does. Uh, so, so, so that that that's part. But but but, but I'm, I'm with Chris on this. But the other thing on this before we move to the next part is that the thing about the injury, like I know this and reported it here on the pod, and then I, I saw others picked it up too. He didn't want to wear the bla- brace. Like this, this was a big issue for the team. Like they, they basically threw their hands up because they were trying to get him to wear the brace. He didn't want to wear the brace, and and that was the source of a lot of the friction this year, from what I'd heard. So, I, I mean, I, look, the Heat. I will say this about this: you're totally right about one thing with the Heat, Leroy. The Heat do not do what the Dolphins do. OK, which and what right. the Marlins have done, which is the heat don't trash guys uh, like the Dolphins do. Like it's, it's a practice of the, this Dolphins administration that I don't like, which is kind of that, you know, they you know, certain reporters are used to get certain stuff out there. This happened with Landry. It happened with Sue. It's happened with other guys. OK, right. the, the heat don't do that as often. Now, I've said here, too, there are certain media members that I know when they're being critical of Hassan, I know it's. Uh, it's tacit approval from the team because there's there's certain guys who are not going to go out there and say anything negative about anybody on the team unless they have tacit approval. So I, I know kind of how that works, okay? But the one thing that the Heat have not done for their players sometimes over the years is they don't like talking about injuries publicly, okay? Right. Um, and, and, like, Mike Miller's body was basically breaking into pieces okay like and i mean he was having surgeries like back two days later like i i remember during one of the playoffs like his back was so bad he could not walk okay and the team wasn't announcing anything with him like he went and had an epidural during a playoff series it was never announced okay i i during the 2000 god in boston so it would have been the year quentin Quentin richardson was no the year quentin richardson was here um you know i don't remember remember that 
Well, no, we're in. Well, because it never got reported in the locker room uh, in Boston. Like all of a sudden, like Q had been playing. We knew he'd been playing with a damaged thumb for a while. Okay, and then all of a sudden, like one of the Heat PR guys comes over and goes, "Yeah, uh, you know, just letting you know, Quentin's having surgery tomorrow." Like, I, and it was like, okay, there was never any announcement about this. So I, the Heat don't like um, typically. I mean, that's it's a it's a Parcells thing. It's a Riley thing. Like they don't like sort of. You know, it's like Parcells always said, you can't right, you can't make the team from the training room. You're familiar with that, Leroy. So Yep. So so can't make so, the club in the tub. Correct. So <laughs> so so uh, that's where the heat operates. So the heat did not go out there publicly with Hassan's injury last year in a way that they could have. And so I understand the perspective there. But also I do know they tried to get him to maintain it more than he did by wearing the brace and doing some other things and they got resistance. And from what I've heard, that's kind of where the hands got thrown up where it's like, okay, you know, what can we do here? And, and so, you know, if Hassan's healthier this year, um, you know, that's going to help. Uh, and they do have to rehabilitate it a little bit because I mean, a, if they, if they want to move him, that's part of it, but also, I mean, he can still fill a role on the team. Like there's things he can do that can help them. And they want him also to set, you know, an example for some of the other guys, bam, that they've got there. Um, and so I, I'm with Chris. It would have made it easier if the playoffs were not a disaster. Uh, but he's going to be their starting center on opening night. Like that's happening. And fans are going to have to get used to that. And he's going to have to do as much as he can with it. So be interested to see where that goes. This is the Five Reason Sports Network. Sports by Miami for Miami on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Miami Heat Beat. I'm in love with this young core. I think they have three really solid starter-type players in Winslow, J. Rich, and Bam. You know, it's funny. I was literally just thinking that to myself like five minutes ago, but the fact that Gianni agrees with me really makes me second guess it. <laughs> if you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. And don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. Let's move to part five here, Leroy, with you, which is LeBron. Um, and again, I, I know obviously your familiarity with Cleveland, your familiarity with, with Miami. Uh, I don't have the name Cleroy for nothing. Correct. Correct. Well, I had, I had, I had, I had Cleethan for a little while. So that was, so, well, you were I, living up there. Well, well, I wasn't, my contract said I wasn't supposed to be, but tell bleacher, but anyway, um, but let, let's, let's get back to, to LeBron. Um, and just on this very narrow topic here, We've sort of handled the political stuff with him on light-skinned opinions, and I really recommend everybody check out Mike Wallace's appearance there because it's really interesting. But just on the basketball perspective, um, you know, in Los Angeles, like every day, he's the executive producer of something else, right? Like, I mean, they <laughs> they had these deals lined up. Like, he's he's producing a three-part series on Showtime called Shut Up and Dribble. I mean, that's that's a shot at Laura Ingram. Uh, from Fox News, but it's about athletes and and activism and all that. He's going to be involved in a sitcom. There's a movie production thing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff with Spring Hill. So I asked the question for you. And LeBron has always been able to balance all this stuff, and he has a lot of very smart people working for him. Do you mm -hmm. think really – this is the one question we'll end this with. Do you think he cares about winning championships anymore? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That doesn't just go away. Like, it, it's amazing. It's amazing to me how people – outside of competition think that competitors just want to eat it. I'm reserved to losing. Absolutely not. I don't know where this comes from. You, you see how people compete? It, like, like, there's no way. Now, does he think he can win with that team? I'm going to say yes. You know why? Because he's on the team. And look at the teams he's got into the finals. And once you get in the finals, all bets are off. But he's not out. I, as long as he's putting the uniform on, he's competing. I mean, Think about this. You think Tiger is just glad he can golf again or he's trying to win? You know, not everybody has the Charles Barkley attitude that I just want to get back so I can go out on my terms. Man, you can, we compete with everything. I compete at times I really shouldn't be competing. And, 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 and I really can't. Once you're a competitor, once you've spent a majority of your life competing, you're always competing. Now, the, the, the field may change, uh, what you're competing for may change, 
but you are always competing. And I have a problem, you know, getting a grip around a guy who has gone to what eight straight finals Yep, is all of a sudden saying, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to go out here and relax and just play a little basketball. No, I ain't buying it. I ain't buying it. But I, and I, I think you hit on, on the point perfectly. It, it's sort of, it's two things that are balanced up against each other. So for me, the first thing is I think LeBron and Ethan, you certainly know this has always understood what he's surrounded by and is always agitated for more, but it does kind of juxtapose against what Leroy said is the ultimate confidence. Well, if I'm on the team, we'll make the playoffs. We'll be competitive. We'll be a contender to win the championship. And maybe he doesn't think, you know, they can beat Golden State. But I I do think that particularly given the fact that he signed a long-term deal and that there is going to be extra benefits, he's okay with at least being patient. Okay, I'm not, I might not be on a championship team this year, but next year, Luol Deng is one year closer to getting off our books and we can trade him as an expiring contract. We have all these young pieces that, if they get better around me, can be tradable for good stuff. We're going to have a ton of cap space again. We'll be able to go again in a year and maybe sign two big free agents and, and really get some really top-quality players that we weren't able to do this offseason. So I, I do think that LeBron James thinks that if not this year, then very soon he will be competing at the very highest level because he's LeBron James and every team that he's been on, like you said, right. Leroy, like in, in 2015, he was surrounded by a crew that you would imagine is worse than the current assembly of of, of this Lakers team. And so, yeah, I, I think that LeBron has to have the ultimate confidence in himself that it won't be an issue. Okay, they might not win the championship, but they can very soon. Here's here's the other thing you have to consider. And Ethan, you could probably attest to this more than anyone. This is the second organization where LeBron has gone to and trusted the people running the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so how you go about that, because keep in mind, he signed a long-term deal with the Heat. Why? Because before he signed that piece of paper, he was like, I trust the organization that they're going to do whatever they can to win. And he went out to L.A. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you respect another player, like players respect Magic Johnson, it doesn't matter what his position is. You're doing a deal with Magic Johnson, and he's going to try to win because he's a winner. And when you have that attitude, when you go into a situation, you can always go into a situation like, I'm here, and I know there's no way that this organization is not going to do everything they can do to win. Then it looks like this. But maybe it has more to do with he respects what they're going to do and the job that they're going to do to win, so he's not going in it like when he went to Cleveland and felt like he had to be all over everything and hands-on with everything because he didn't trust that the people doing what they were doing were going to do the best job. And the people that he did trust, they got rid of. Yep, yep. That, well, that to me, Leroy, that's the big thing. I mean, there's two things on that, and I think they're both – They're it's a great point. Uh, the first thing is, yes, he held Gilbert's feet to the fire every year with the one-on-one deals – uh, which did not allow them to build. And so I don't have any sympathy for Dan Gilbert on a lot of matters, but I do understand the bind that he was in there because it's very hard to build an organization when you don't know if you're, if you're, you know, the, the, the major piece of your organization is going to leave at any time. But the second thing is he found a GM that he trusted in David Griffin. It took some time, but he began to trust him and then Gilbert wouldn't pay him. And, and, and to me that, right. you know, everybody talks about the Mickey decision with Mike Miller, uh, to me, the the Dan Gilbert decision with Dan Griffin was with David Griffin was much much worse. Much oh yeah. Worse. Uh, oh yeah. Because, you can get over a player being gone if you replace him with a better player. Yeah, absolutely. But but and, and again, this is no disrespect to Kobe Altman, who I like a lot, who took that job. Uh, but it's just you know it takes time for for LeBron to trust someone in that kind of position. And David earned his trust, and and they decided you know Dan Dan's you know Dan Gilbert has never extended a general manager ever ever he's right. never extended and so I, I put a lot of this on him all right leroy we, we really appreciate the time again you can follow him at big mouth leroy also catch him uh with tobin and beast uh, every day from one to three you'll get a lot of these opinions but then also some others we hope we can do this again with you sometime and uh you know we, we hope that you're right about the dolphins because make it a little bit more 
interesting well, for us if that's I've, the case. I've been calling them all liars. So either <laughs> either I'm the the biggest fool on the planet and don't know what I'm talking about, or they just the Dolphins have been low hanging fruit for the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you want to oh, write man. something negative, you go to the Dolphins. Look at their situation; it sucks. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe it's both true. Maybe, maybe, maybe you are wrong about everything, and maybe they're wrong about this. It, it can be both. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we we appreciate the time, man. And uh, and again, check, right. check out the rest of the podcast in our network. Just type in five reasons to your favorite app, and you will find all of the podcasts in our network. Thanks, Leroy. All right, guys.